And I tell you what, that that ought to give us a great deal of hope that that where God's name is attached, God will defend his name even when the people don't deserve it. Amen. And I know God looks at the United States of America sometimes and thinks you all don't deserve it. But but God's name is attached to this nation and has been attached to this nation. I've shared that last week has been attached to this nation from the very beginning and from the very inception, from the very time that people landed on this continent. God has been in the forefront. His name is attached to the United States of America. And I don't believe that God is going to abandon us for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. All right. Go to verses 35 and 36. It says, so they will say. This land was desolate, has become like the garden. This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden and the wasted, desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and I will do it. Now, I wanted you to see all of that context for the next two verses, which are the most important. 37 and 38. Notice this. It says, thus says, if you have this, you can read it with me. I'm reading from the New King, King James Version. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock. Now stop right there. Wow. You know, and the fact that this, this is coming at the end of this long description of what God wants to do with the children of Israel says, this is, this is the crowning proof that I'm in. This is the crowning proof that I'm for you. I'm going to let you ask me to restore men. See, because I, and I really believe that this happened with Nebuchadnezzar, even though the Bible doesn't go into it. Whenever conquerors met resistance in a particular place, in order to break the resistance, they kill the men. When they finally conquered a place, they killed the men because they knew that the men were the heart of the resistance. You kill the men and the women will fall in line. Now, you can say amen to that because it's the truth. I mean, generally speaking, women are not going to organize into guerrillas. And generally speaking, they may join something like that. But generally speaking, women are not going to be the ones to take the lead in trying to kill the enemy. And so they would kill the men. And then turn the women over to their men. Are you all hearing me? God says, I will let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. In other words, they need this. And I'm going to let them ask me for this. I will increase their men like a flock. Obviously, there was a there was a lack of men. And God said, but I'm going to put men back in their place and say, this is what we need God to do for the United States of America. God needs to increase our men like a flock. Amen. I mean, what do we talk about in our churches? And if it doesn't apply to you, just let it go right over your head. But what do we talk about in our churches? The lack of backbone. Yes. Yes. Pastors are half afraid to say what needs to be said. They, they don't want to speak up. They don't want to offend anybody. Now, some member might leave. They might not give their tithe. I might, my, my, my attendance might go down. I mean, just, just as scared as they can be. Scared of their own shadows. And then it says in 38th verse, like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on his feast days. Look at this. 
so shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. Now, obviously, God means wants women there too. But there's something about the judgment of God that has fallen on to the children of Israel that has taken away their men. 93% of the people in prison, men. Suicide rates skyrocketing among men. Murder rates in some areas where I said for uh, young Americans of European descent, suicide, for, and, and, and in some cases these are still rare, but in some cases mass killing because some literature argues that the mass killing by young white guys is really just a way of committing suicide. That that's what they're really trying to do. And usually at the end of that process, they kill each other or they're killed. And young men of African descent, and to some extent of Hispanic descent as well, killing one another. So that you've got an out of wedlock birth rate that is just absolutely staggering. And raising up, of course, men and women, but now we, we learn, but the boys are far more devastated by the absence of their fathers than the girls are. In terms of the impact on society, now internally, they may have the same hurts, the same pain, but they're processing it differently. They're not winding up in prison or killing themselves as a result. Now, what, what's, so, and here, but, but here, look at this last sentence. Let's not leave this, this last sentence out. Let's read this last verse again. Like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days. In other words, you know what those are, right? They're perfect specimens. They're what's the best that's been brought for, before God for sacrifice. He said, so shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Wow. You know, well, Lord, as if all that you've done before proves it, right? But God said, yeah, but we know what? When you see men, when you see my men gathering, you know I'm moving. It's almost as if God's saying, as hard-headed as men are, you see them gathering together like flocks for sacrifice, that's me. Are you all hearing me? See, we, we've, got, we've got a problem in our society in terms of raising up our sons to be the kind of men that God intends them to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. So what's the implication of all this? Well, first it implies, of course, the destruction of men is a plan of the devil. The destruction of men is the plan of the devil. But the crowding side of revival and awakening is when men begin to take their rightful place in God and in their families and in society. See, there's not going to be an awakening with men sitting in the background. An awakening is going to bring men to the forefront as men of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So if lack of men is the canary in the coal mine, the flock of men is the sign of God's restoration and favor. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. This is so important. God says, I want Israel for, to pray for me to do this. Increase men like a flock. See, how often is this taught? 
I, I said, this is not a passage that's talked about very much, but I think it's one of the most powerful passages, particularly in our culture today. By the way, this is happening worldwide. Men are suffering worldwide. I just know more about what's happening in the United States of America, but you read the literature and you see the same patterns in other places as well. It's like there's a worldwide conspiracy by Satan to destroy manhood. Glory to God. And, you know, men stand up and want to celebrate their manhood. And, oh, no, that's an attack on the LGBTQ people. That, that's an attack on women. Well, somebody better stand up for men. Somebody better say, look, listen, men need to be affirmed. Men need to be reminded that we have a special anointing and calling on our lives by almighty God to be what he intended us to be. Amen. 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 And by the way, now, look, I'm going to say a couple things and I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. I really believe this based upon what the old covenant says in the book of Genesis, that women were created as a symbol of God's kindness and compassion and that men were created as a symbol of God's dominion and authority. Now, that does not mean that women can't be figures of authority and it does not mean that men can't be kind and compassionate. I'm talking about the predominant wiring that God put in us. I, I think I told you all, I read one book that said, one guy was saying, yeah, when we were growing up, you know, we would, we would, we would harass our mother and she would tell us to stop. And we would keep knowing it. She would tell us to stop. Saying she would cry wolf and cry wolf and cry wolf until we finally just wore down. Saying we would do it and our father would tell us to stop one time and he didn't cry wolf, he became the wolf. <laughs> so we stopped. <laughs> So it's not that women can't be figures of authority. God bless the women who are forced to raise their children by themselves and do a great job of it. But that's not God's best. And that often doesn't work out very well. Amen. 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 So look, in this context, Ezekiel 22, 27 brings, comes alive in a new way in the context of what I've just taught you about this book. You recognize these verses? Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people and to get dishonest gain. Men off track. Men doing what they've got no business doing. And then Ezekiel 22, 30, just a couple verses down. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. So completely corrupt, God says, I couldn't find a single man that I could put forward to help me bring these men into line. Of course, we know that that is in part pointing to the fact that there is a man coming and his name is Jesus. Amen. 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 So that the men left over in exile had fallen into idolatry and corruption and God was trying to pull them out. We see God pulling them out. But you see here what God is saying. He's trying to find one man. And then in Ezekiel 36, he said, you know what? Pray for me. Pray, pray to me. I'm going to give you a flock of them. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Glory. So what do we do? What do we do? Let me spend the last couple minutes I've got to tell you what we do. Here's number one, don't ignore the male crisis. Amen. Amen. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend it's not happening, it is. 
men raising sons be aware of the pressures that they're going to face, unlike anything I face, and probably no matter how young you are, unlike anything you face. Because I think this stuff is going to get worse before it gets better. So don't ignore the male crisis. Uh, that's why my wife and I committed to the idea of making sure that any child who goes to this church who doesn't want to go to public schools or is not being homeschooled will have a chance to get an education without having to go through that mess. Because let me tell you, the teachers unions control the public schools and the teachers unions are wholly corrupt. They are godless. They buy into every left wing crazy idea you can imagine. And you go up there to try to complain. They look at you like there's something wrong with you. Why are you so bigoted and hateful? Well, wait, I, how's it bigoted and hateful to say my son is a boy? Oh, you don't know that. He might be a girl. So don't ignore the male crisis. Pray for God to increase men like a flock. Men, that's what we need to be praying for for our church, for God to increase men like a flock. You know, it hasn't been fulfilled, but my vision for this church has always been that there would be as many men as there are women. Because, you know, in most churches, the churches are overflowing with men, women with, a very, with very few men. So here's another instance in which men have abdicated their spiritual responsibility. I, I, you've heard me tell the story. My wife would come home from church. I'd be sitting in the living room, feet propped up on the coffee table, sneer at her. How much of my money you give that preacher today? I, she, was, she was busy doing stuff for women and children. I was doing important stuff. I was watching television and drinking beer. That's, that's, that's the perversion of manhood, see? That's what happened to Adam. I don't know what he was doing. I don't think he was drinking beer, but, but you know, he was obviously standing by while the devil was interacting with his wife instead of stepping in the middle of that and saying, no. That's right. Here's the third thing. Affirm manhood and maleness as a unique gift and anointing. Amen. Yes. Amen. We, need to, we need to stop this stuff of trying to make people apologize. You know what this is like, too? And, and, and saints, please don't take this the wrong way because I, I am not pandering. I'm just being biblical about this. We are living in a culture that is trying to get white people to apologize for something they didn't choose. That's right. That's right. That, what, what's wrong with this picture? I mean, but that, that should be abhorrent. It should be abhorrent to any human being. Certainly ought to be abhorrent to Christians. I mean, come on. What's the difference between that and what happened 200 years ago or more in which black people were intended to serve a certain role because of what others thought of us or of those people who lived during that time? What's the difference? There's no difference. Just a difference in the era. It's not a difference in the quality of that kind of thinking. It's the same thing. That's why I say a lot of this stuff is based on vengeance and payback. Not based on decency and righteousness. Amen? Amen. Amen. But affirm manhood and maleness as a unique gift and anointing. You all have often heard me say, I think it is, it is completely out of order to say, well, I'm proud to be black. Well, I didn't choose it. Now, I can say, I'm, I'm proud of some task I performed. I'm proud of the work that I did, you know, in a, in a, in a godly way. But I'm, I'm, I'm proud of something I accomplished. But I didn't accomplish being black. It just happened. But I can say I'm grateful. Because I know God doesn't make mistakes. 
And if God, God gave me this particular pigment and gave me my ancestry, he did so for a reason. But I've got to honor the fact that the same is true for you. None of us is an accident. God knows who he wanted us to be. He know, knew when he wanted us to be and he, he knew what he wanted us to do. And he's fashioned each of us for his unique purposes. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we got to teach young men how to be men of honor and integrity whose first ambition is character. Yeah. Yes. Whose first ambition, I'm talking about within, within Christ, a Christian context, but whose first ambition is not, what can I get? What can I do? But how, who am I on the inside? Because see, the, as I said, your vision will grow out of your character. It's not the other way around. We need to teach our young people. I mean, think about this. I, 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 am, I am absolutely stunned by it. That people can go, I mean, did you all hear? Rioters broke into the Ronald McDonald House where young, sick children are being cared for. And you know, I didn't hear anybody saying, that is wicked, that is evil, that is wrong. I mean, for the most part, it's just, yeah, rioters did this. They're angry. I've even heard some dumb preacher say, well, you know, rioting is the language of the dispossessed. No, rioting is the language of the evil. Amen. Period. I don't care who does it. It's wrong. That's right. I don't even want to hear all this dispossessed nonsense. Say, well, you know, that's what poverty produces. Think about this, folks. Think about this. At what point in American history have there not been a lot of poor people? Yep. <laughs> well, I guess they should have been rioting all, all along. We're stealing or killing black folks, white folks. I mean. Look, I, I lived, we lived in Boston for over 20 years. South Boston was a poor, white, Irish neighborhood. A lot of projects there. I mean, you, you can't excuse wrongdoing by the circumstances of a person's life. I certainly wasn't brought up that way, son. You know, it's okay to steal. Now, the Bible says you can show mercy to a person if they steal to eat. You can show them mercy. Don't say it's right. It just says you can show mercy to a person if that's what they're doing. But I had a friend tell me one time he was broke, didn't have money to feed his, his family. He went down to the supermarket and talked to the supermarket manager and said, look, I'm not going to steal a thing from you, but I want you to know I don't have any money, but I need groceries for my family. If you will allow me to get some groceries and, and just put it on a bill, I give you my word. I will come back and pay you every dime. The man said, go ahead. I mean, that's a whole lot better than ripping somebody off. Yes. Amen. So tell me stealing is the only way. Oh, no, you, can't, you know, you have, to, you have to do what you have to do. That's a lie. The people don't trust God. Yeah, they, but Christians ought to know better than that. Amen? Amen. So we need to teach our young men to be men of honor and integrity and, and whose first ambition ought to be to develop character. And that husbands, they ought to teach them to be husbands who are committed to loving and caring for their wives and families and being responsible uh, financially and, and to protect them, but not like lording it over them like some boss. 
We need to teach men how to how to provide the kind of leadership that Jesus provides for us. It is loving leadership. Amen. 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 We know that Jesus is in charge, right? But Jesus doesn't abuse us. Praise God and teach them to be fathers who are committed to the spiritual and emotional and psychological well-being of their families as they are the financial well-being. Because, you know, for a long time, basically fathers had the attitude and that was somewhat affirmed by society. It was wrong. Well, I earn the, I, I bring home the bacon. And I don't, I, you know, I mean, reading to the children, playing with the children, uh, talking to the children, letting the children know they're loved by their father. That wasn't part of the equation for many men. They just figured if I go work 10, 12, 14 hours a day, I'm done. I've done my part. No, you haven't. And we need to raise up our sons to understand that they do have a responsibility when the time comes that they find the woman that God has for them. They do have a responsibility to meet the mental, the emotional, the psychological, and yes, the spiritual needs of a family. So, so don't ignore the male crisis. Let's teach our children, uh, our sons particularly, how to be men. And most importantly, of course, teach them their place in God. And here's something for me and for all of us uh, that the Lord laid on my heart as I was preparing this. You know, every church needs a ministry to men and boys. Every church needs a ministry to men and boys. And you know, all the more important because here again, this is part of our wiring as men too. Men don't open up as easily as women. Now, of course, you can always point to an exception and say, well, I know so-and-so. Yeah, fine. But mostly, men just don't do it. And creating some space for men to talk to one another about issues regarding manhood and, and creating space, fathers, for your sons to talk to you about issues regarding their masculinity and their manhood and what they're growing up in is, is extremely important. We need to raise our sons to be like the sons of Issachar who understand the times and know what to do. Amen. And, and teach them this, that the perfect model of manhood is not me, not you, but Jesus. If you want to study what a man is supposed to be like, Jesus is the perfect model of that man. I mean, Jesus was tough when he needed to be tough. I mean, it doesn't get any tougher than going in single handedly and whipping all the money changes out of the temple. He didn't take a gang with him. He did that on his own. Uh, you know, and people like to paint these little pictures of Jesus with little pointy feet and done toenails and and, you know, <laughs> little pointy beard. And Jesus was a carpenter. And, you know, carpenters didn't have power saws. <laughs> they didn't have tow trucks. I mean, you had to be strong. <laughs> to cut down trees and to shape stuff. Jesus was a man. Was. Hallelujah. And look, saints, don't, I hope you take this the right way because I really believe this is an appropriate reading of scripture. The woman at the well who met Jesus thought she might have been meeting a new boyfriend. <laughs> Jesus wasn't having any of that. Well, if you knew who I was and what I'm offering, I'd give you water to drink. And she, she said, give it to me. Give me that water. And Jesus said, go call your husband. I don't have a husband. Yeah, you're right about that. 
because the man you're living with is not your husband, and he's, what was it, six or seven? <laughs> he said, and he's not your husband. Jesus knew all about her. But see, she, she saw him not as a prophet of God, but as an attractive man who had sat down by a well for water. Jesus was a man. You hear me? I mean, he didn't, and praise God for it, because I can't walk from here to Richmond or, or somewhere else I need to go. Jesus didn't have Kareem to drive him around. He walked everywhere he went. Hallelujah. I, I mean, so, so, so this, this picture of Jesus as a little, a little effeminate tiptoeing through the tulips, no, 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 no. When they came to arrest him and, and they said, we're, you know, we, we seek Jesus, and Jesus said, I am he, they all fell back. And he said, well, if you look for me, you're looking for me, let these go. I, I mean, you know, and I got to just see him because, in fact, the, you know, the scribes and Pharisees often said, boy, he talks with such authority. There's nothing, nothing soft or, or weak about him. Amen. 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 Glory to God. But he's the perfect example of manhood because, look, he's loving, he's forgiving, he's kind. He's tender, but he's also strong. When he was teaching about eating his blood and eating, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and a lot of folks got mad. It's like people get mad on sermons, about sermons today. You know what he said? What? And that's what they did. You know what he said? We eat his flesh and drink his blood. Come on, let's go. I ain't coming back to this church no more. And Jesus let him go. You know, I've often said, because some preachers today would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me explain. Please come back. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you all going to? And Peter said, well, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He was not some whining, namby-pamby, half afraid of offending people. Woman comes to him asking for a daughter. He said, it's not good to give the children's bread to the dogs. Well, that's who, how does he, that's sexist. <laughs> he was testing that woman's resolve. He was testing her resolve. And she said, well, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs on the master's table. He said, for this saying, going home, your daughter's well. Glory to God. No, don't listen. Look, look, look. We, we are following a man. Amen. Hallelujah. I know these feminists and all these people like to say, call him, call him the person of God. No, he's the son of the living God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And Jesus told the scribes and Pharisees, actually, this, this is found in John chapter 5, verse 39. He said, search the scriptures. He said, for in them you think you have eternal life. He said, but they testify of me. Say, oh, you will not come to me. In other words, he's saying, you're not, you're not getting around me. Hallelujah. And I'd say the same thing. I started out this message giving the gospel. There's no getting around Jesus. There's no getting around him. And if we would just come back to him as our example of manhood, we could save a lot of boys a lot of heartache. You, you know how many men are sitting in prisons right now who are likely never to get out? You know, I'm doing a radio program now that goes nationwide, and I'm getting letters from guys in prison Amen. who are saying, you know, I, man, I, I messed up. It's what got me here. And, 
and but 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 I'm saved now and please pray for me. And and I'm going to write to these these guys because God still has a plan for their lives. They, they messed up, but God can still use them. Amen. But we can avoid having our sons take that path by teaching them the right way early on. And by teaching them to change this next generation like God changed the children of Israel from those who wouldn't go into the promised land and rose up a generation of those who would. Praise God. Come on, stand up on your feet. I, I better quit here because otherwise I, I'll never quit. Praise God. <laughs>